everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing good, Drew. I can't wait for ne- next week's... Re- oh, oh no. Oh. Next week's dark void. I know, it's just empty. Carless it's empty. television. Into, into the future, months and months of me playing with tiny little paper mache cars, imagining that I'm watching a race. But sadly, it's not to be. Uh, joining us in the land of make-believe, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, just waiting for uh, Gander Mountain to rumble once again with the sound <laughs> of engines. Uh, this is a special episode of this podcast, the season ender. Uh, F1's 2019 season is over for the year. Uh, it begins March 15th of next year. Of course, we will have podcasts leading up to that, off-season news updates, preseason testing, uh, our yearly primer episode, the pre-Australia episode, all that stuff. Um, but today we are going to look back at the year that was 2019. We are going to look forward to the year 2020 uh, and uh, give you some ideas of what you can do in the meantime to uh, to stave away the the carless sadness. Uh, if this make happens, a, you can make a sandwich. You can, <laughs> yeah, you can. You can learn to ride a unicycle. Yeah, there's loads of stuff. Can't wait to list them all off. Uh, if this just so happens to be your first episode of this show congratulations (laughs) you have an entire year of f1 podcast to listen to uh if you are new to f1 you can go all the way back to episode 59 listen to our preseason primer which assumes no prior f1 knowledge and then catch yourself up uh just in time for the new season um speaking of we uh are supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shift f1 where every month we release at least one bonus podcast and bonus video exclusively for our patrons uh, covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other series, and a whole lot of other weird stuff. So um, that, by the way, we are keeping up with in the off season. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that, uh, as long as well as all of the stuff we have ever previously recorded uh, for Patreon, uh, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, what do we have going on this month, Danny? Uh, one of our most requested, I think, film reviews uh, since mm-hmm. we started doing this at the start of the season. Uh, we are finally tackling the uh, Nicky Lauda, James Hunt battle biopic uh, Rush, uh, which will be up in a couple of days time after this one, I'm guessing. Um, and we'll also have an F1 game history over the holiday break as well. So loads going up. Sweet. Yes, we have not yet recorded that one, but I'm looking forward to it. That movie yeah. still holds up. Yeah, it does. It's it's a, spoilers. Yeah, it's good. Let's let's not burn good pod. We're recording yeah. it after this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so let's uh, jump right into our highly unstructured 2019 recap. Uh, I have sort of like just a list of uh, like a chronological race list here. Um, but do we want to maybe start with like overall general impressions of? the 2019 season what do you think danny yeah can i get the biggest story out of the way early please uh i mean it all started with a simple idea to bring an energy drink (laughs) (laughs) to the (laughs) we've lost you already bring bring him out of the strip club and 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 into the garage finally into the garage i mean for too long did we have an f1 uh, circuit an F1 season that wasn't uh, covered in advertisements for an energy drink 
<laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. The Rich Energy Saga, it, it, Rich Energy, sorry, Saga, much like Valtteri Bottas's championship hopes, it was sort of dead by the time the uh, middle of the season uh, uh, break happened. But Brutal. for the longest time there, it was it was kind of, it was, the, it was our raison d'etre here on Shift F1, wasn't it? I mean, it spoke to, at least for me, the days before Liberty Media, where <laughs> F1 was just a little weirder. What do you think, Rob? I still don't know what happened. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm sitting here, you know, it's it's a bit like um, at the end of the classic sports film Tin Cup, where Kevin mm. Costner's character reflects on, I feel like I should have learned something from all this, yeah. but I'm still, the same, like, nothing's changed. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of how I came away feeling about Rich Energy. Uh, by the end, it looked like that dude got his company back. Uh, it's possible some of the weird weirdness around him was overstated. Uh, I have no idea. I still don't know what that company is. I still don't know what to make of some of the sketchy uh, provenance of some of its like paperwork. Um, I don't. There was a period where a lot of people were suddenly drinking Rich Energy. Uh, people I would not have expected to, like Je- <laughs> Jeff Gersman, like driving home with a case of it. Does that really surprise you? <laughs> well, I mean, he found it. That, you know what I mean? It's like, well, that's surprising. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it was a very weird thing. But I think you're very right, Drew. It did feel like I wouldn't just say before Liberty, Liberty Media. I think it's before like Bernie's entire corporatization of the sport where like mm. you know we're going to be talking about Rush later today but like the idea of there was there were once all these weird teams basically run as rich dudes hobbies mm. and all these like pirate operations uh rich energy seemed to have a similar energy right um it was just less fun a rich energy if you will oh, oh, very it, true it, it, god i should yeah, have said it, that <laughs> it did yeah it I, I feel the same way. I think we were waiting for the second act of that story or like the third act of that saga to kick in and it, it never really did. We never heard really much about any of that stuff after after the deal was, uh, you know, them and Haas, their relationship broke up and the name was off the car finally. Yeah, and I, in a way, I was kind of like looking forward to the eventual like BBC Panorama episode about the whole <laughs> thing. But again, yeah, I'm not really sure if... Was it overblown? What's the American did we, equivalent did we of that? want it? Oh, like 60 minutes maybe okay, or something? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think as bizarre as it was, we all, we all as, a, like, as an F1 community, we also sort of were willing it into existence in a way. <laughs> like we wanted it to be bizarre. It was just this fun, random side story in an otherwise normal episode of your favorite TV show. You know, that, that C-plot that's sort of going on in the background. I think there's something else too, uh, not, not to get all sort of like waypoint socialist on on y'all here but (laughs) i think part of the weirdness of this company is that global finance has gotten weird right like the way money moves around the way companies can form the way they are registered all these things are weird i think a lot of us still even though we know the world hasn't been like this in quite some time we still have this idea that if it's a big company there'll be a factory somewhere right there'll be a headquarters there will be serious looking people in suits and there will be lots of employees there will be an infrastructure you can identify but in many ways the direction of like capital in the last 30 years has been to really reduce the footprint of a lot of that stuff right cash mm. just rolls around from opportunity to opportunity and i think rich energy gave us a glimpse into that because it was 
something familiar, right? It's an F1 car sponsorship. What the hell is it? It seems like that should be that should be something we can look at. We should be able to see what that company is. And so I think it became a useful model to understand our I think if there are, I think there are a lot more companies in the world that probably if you start digging into them look like rich, rich energy. And mm-hmm. some of them are probably completely hollow shells or corrupt, and some of them are probably completely on the up and up. And there may not be a whole lot of meaningful difference between those two propositions. And I think that's some of the fascination with rich energy. And I think a lot of those are pasted on the side of some F1 cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I think it's a very good point. Um, that, yeah, I think really brought that brought a lot, I think, certainly to the first half of the season, which... I think I kind of think of 2019 in three stages, which was the first stage being the first season of Drive to Survive, which came out shortly before You're right. the 2019 season yeah. and reminded us not only of the 2018 season, but set up storylines for 2019. So 2019, the first half was all about how how is that going to play out? Um, real boring, as it turned out. For me, I think the highlight of the first half was... Um, Leclerc coming into Ferrari and uh, lightning lighting it up, but getting this like uh, or having this this terrible happenstance in Bahrain where he got pole position. Yeah. Um, and then during the race, um, had a short circuit in his injection system and got passed by Hamilton and Vettel, but still managed to hold on for third. It was after kind of like... Had, after he had passed Sebastian when he was told not to, right? That was the that was that race, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't... Did they end up swapping them team orders, or did he just get past them because... I think, I think he got past him, but there was that felt like the start of the, oh, maybe he's not as good a boy as... as we think he, he, he might be. But then, okay, right. he, yeah, he almost immediately then had to pull over. Yeah, so that that I think uh, also that was when Vettel spun and uh, his front wing got chewed off, right? Right. Um, in a shower of sparks. So that that I think also sort of set the tone for at least Ferrari's season, um, which is flashes of brilliance uh, followed by crushing defeats from Mercedes for like eight races in a row, I think it was. Uh, also, Canada, Vettel rejoining in an unsafe manager or a man... man what am I trying to say? Manor. 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 Yes. Um, getting Not a five-second penalty. Yeah. Oh, Lance Stroll being the other one, right? Who who got it? No, Stroll. No, Vettel hit into Stroll. Who else did? There was someone else did it as well, where they spun uh, in. It was in that yeah. same incident right before right before the the back straight. Yeah, I don't remember, uh, but that was also that was that made for some good animated gifts. Sebastian <laughs> Vettel moving his second, or uh, swapping his second place and first place with Hamilton. Um, I don't know. Thought thoughts of the first half of the season. I, I, I it, it was dour to me. I think it's it's we forget because of what happened in that final third of the season. But they the 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 first third certainly, and maybe the first half was, you know, it was Mercedes dominance, right? It was the first yeah. time a team had gotten three one twos in the first three races since I think it was Williams in ninety two or something, um, uh, and it was Botas turning up. You know, it wasn't just a, a, a someone else in that second Mercedes seat and people wondering, oh, did they deserve it? Like Valtteri drove really well. Um, and, you know, how, he won races ahead of Lewis sometimes. I think it was the second race of the season. What's after Melbourne? Um, 
Is that Bahrain, was it? No. Yeah. Maybe the third one then, where he, he bet Lewis by like 30 seconds, and Lewis was scrapping with China, Verstappen maybe? for third. Yeah, it might have been China. Um, you know, Valtteri was, uh, Valtteri was up a, up with Lewis for the, the first chunk of that season. And the Vettel... Um, uh, Leclerc fight was, or Leclerc, as we we learned, um, was a uh, was the was was the story there. Like the, the, neither the twain shall meet for the first half of the season, right? Like Ferrari and Mercedes were not fighting each other, but they were having wonderful fights in, in, in inside of each other's teams. But that's where that's where Mercedes won the championship was in that first that, those first six seven races. Yeah, I think the early part of the season for me felt like. The, it was a bit of the agony and the ecstasy, right? Because for a moment, there were two things that seemed like they might be possible here. One was that Ferrari might seriously be bringing the fight to Mercedes. Mm. That was the narrative coming out of testing. There was the question of, is there sandbagging happening? Turns out, absolutely. <laughs> but even then, like when you saw how good uh, Leclerc drove and how good that car was at Bahrain, it was easy to think for a second, like, okay, if that Ferrari can get its act together. Like, if, if they can just keep the engine from blowing in the future, uh, Mercedes is going to have a fight on their hands. But that really proved to be, if all like it was really the high watermark of Ferrari looking like they had a better car uh, for the first two thirds of the season, right? And then, and then they started to surge late in the summer. But by then, it, they were really going uphill. But uh, so the the first part of the season is this hope that okay, maybe it's going to be a two way championship fight, at, at least between teams, and that starts to die off hmm. internally to uh, Mercedes. There's also this hope that, okay, well, Hamilton might have his his, his hands full with uh, uh, Botas. But that also just proved not to really work out. I, I can't remember the exact moment. I feel like, um, uh, what, what what race came after Azerbaijan? Um, let's is see. Baku into, was that into Europe then? Was it Spain? Yeah, sorry, after, after Baku. Um, there was a moment where... Lewis had just yeah, won Spain yeah. Spain. yeah. Yeah. And there was this sort of look that came over Valtteri as this realization that like, there is no, I think he'd been great in, in qualifying. He had a great weekend and like Lewis still came away with the win. And I think that was kind of the moment it starts. It, like it becomes very clear that Lewis is a very hard guy to beat. And it's not mm. just because he's a good driver in a great car. It's just that he's really maddeningly consistent everywhere. And Valtteri just maybe wasn't the guy to like, he could, you know, he could make a fight fight of it for a while on his day. He can compete with Lewis. Um, but beyond that, he just started to fall away because he wasn't having bad races. It's just that most of the time in a head to head fight, Lewis won somewhere he was either winning and qualifying or he was winning it at the start uh Valtteri's starting problems w were an issue and so yeah. Lewis started to draw ahead and it wasn't long before you kind of got the sense that uh once again Valtteri's mental fortitude to bring the fight to Lewis had been broken yeah so here's how the winners go uh, starting with Australia, Botas, Hamilton, Hamilton, Botas, Hamilton, 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 Hamilton. So you're right. By Azerbaijan, which Valtteri wins, then it's Spain, uh, 
with Hamilton followed by three more victories, which I, and that's, let's see. Uh, uh, worth uh, mentioning as well that Valtteri had, was in pole position for two of those, uh, that he, yeah. that he lost and, and mm. the other one, Baku, which he won, um, yeah, it's crazy to think, and also crazy to think that it wasn't until the ninth race we had our first non-Mercedes, and it wasn't even a Ferrari. Um, uh, it was it was Max Verstappen in that incredible race in in the A one ring or the the in what do we call the it Red the Red Bull, Bull ring, ring yeah. which um, which started off at one of the the, the that four race run where every yeah. week was just a blisteringly fun. Uh, Austria was track. like the hinge point of the season, right? Like I yeah, was kind of iffy on the season, and then Austria happened. And uh, a race we confidently predicted would be a banger. Uh, you, can go, you, you know what? Don't even check the tape. Uh, we basically called uh, what, what well, a we, great we, race I think that was we probably be. we probably did say it was going to be better than the previous race, which was Circuit Polar Card. Which just if uh, you know there are no bankable races being good or bad in F one except for that one. <laughs> we will never get a good race at Circuit and Polar Monica. Card. Prove me wrong. Uh, Monaco. Yeah. Well, Monaco has Monaco's Monaco, right? Like. Monaco See, I think that I, I will not stand for that sort of uh, tautology here. Like, <laughs> Monaco is only Monaco because we say things like Monaco is Monaco. Like, Monaco, if, do, you know, do you know why Monaco is Monaco? Because if you crash in Monaco, you end up back on the track. In Circuit Polar Card, you true. just go, just go through 200 the, miles of yeah. runoff. Yeah, I, I, love, I love Michael Massey being asked, like, hey, how could we make the... Make, Paul Ricard better and he's just like draws a completely different race ter- race track. Yeah. It's called Rainbow Road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Uh but but yeah, I think Austria is but what's interesting about Austria is to me it feels like in that really exciting phase of the championship where the where it became a really good summer it wasn't really the top of the tables where it was interesting. Right, like, like yeah. that great summer of racing we had wasn't. Oh shit, who's going to win the championship? It no. was just good F one storylines. It was good like vehicular combat out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Austria is where it really starts to kick off between uh, Verstappen and Leclerc, and we get a taste of how much these guys are not going to like each other uh, for the rest of their careers. Yeah, Leclerc yeah, the- was was kind of the he consistently kept being the interesting character in a lot of these between him and Vettel between his just normal story of trying to get his first win getting his first podium uh, having you know having problems uh, being demoted all that sort of stuff and then the fight with Verstappen as well like it was he was consistently the sort of the 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 linchpin of a lot of the interesting moments we were getting and the interesting narratives that were sort of throughout the season yeah I am um... Yeah, I I would totally agree with that. And and like seeing him or at least seeing our perception of him change over yeah, the course of uh of the season. I I I got a uh a couple of messages from um listeners to that effect too. Uh I think though the Austria, Great Britain, Germany, Hungary stretch really um yeah, it sort of erased whatever came before that in my mind. Like mm. I look back on 2019 uh, finally. I think for because of those uh, races, you had Verstappen uh, bogging it down in Austria and then making it all the way back, bumping past Leclerc. <laughs> Britain, you had Hamilton over Botas around the outside, uh, Vettel tagging Verstappen, and then Germany. Oh my God! Yeah, slip and uh, slide. 
Yeah, the rain, the drag strip, people skidding off Leclerc, uh, Botas, Hulkenberg, which was heartbreaking because yeah. oh, he was, was in awful. podium position. Hamilton uh, going over the bollard, which they made them put in there, I think, because of him the previous year uh-huh. uh, when he crashed with no he crash crashing at the pit lane. And Danny Kvyat on the podium. Yeah. I don't remember Hungary a lot, but I remember it being good. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what happened at the Hungara ring. But I do remember it being fantastic. And then Spa being... Spa Spa was was obviously the sort of the, the somber moment yeah. um, with what happened in Formula 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of... Yeah, I can't really remember much about that weekend apart from that, actually. Um, I don't. I, I, just, I wonder if that had an effect on the drivers as well, maybe a little bit. Um, yeah, can you guys remember anything else about it? I remember it was kind of an underwhelming race. I think what I remember the most is uh, Leclerc's emotions at winning it and what a strange vibe it was for a first victory. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but then, of course, he wins Italy the next week, uh, the next race, and there we sit, like, oh yeah, that becomes another that. step in the narrative of Leclerc's kind of an edgy driver. Um, like, I think something happens over the summer. Well, I've talked about this before, but the lesson he draws at Austria from getting passed by Verstappen is mm. don't play nice, uh, be really elbows out, and don't seed anything. And I think at this point, like if he keeps if he keeps on the trajectory he's going, I think he might end up being like something an F one villain uh, out there on the track. But like he showed Hamilton no quarter uh, at at Spa, um, you know, just forcing him into the outside of that chicane entry. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I I do remember when he won that because obviously with the death of Antoine Hubert. Uh, in Belgium, he was very subdued in his win, but then we kind of got to see him celebrate properly um, during that when he won in Monza. And of course, you know, with the whole him battle between him and Vettel the entire year to win in front of the oh, uh, what a place the, to do it the Ferrari fans, right? Um, yeah, you can't can't ask for it anymore. Well, in there too, like this is the weird thing um, for like Vettel. I feel like this season, Ferrari didn't didn't handle a lot of things well, but I think Ferrari mm. really was stumped about how to handle the fact that Leclerc and Vettel were competitive uh, with one another. Yeah. And I feel like at Italy, the problem kind of goes away because uh, Vettel has that nightmare race. But Singapore, they end up kind of strategizing Vettel into a victory that yeah, like maybe right. shouldn't have gone him. And then in Russia, the entire thing gets diffused a little bit by the fact that Vettel uh, has a car failure that completely trashes Ferrari's entire race. But before that happened, they didn't know they couldn't make Vettel move. You know, they tried multiple times to get him, like to get uh, Leclerc clear of him because they try to arrange that first lap choreography. And then once Vettel had clear air and a little bit of a lead, he wasn't giving it back. And it seemed to me that they had figured out a way to screw him with pit strategy. Um, 
and I would have been very curious how that played out because I think they were going to, uh, to me, it always felt like at Russia, they were going to power move him mm. and, uh, sort of cripple his race with a strategy call that would let that would advantage Leclerc. But instead the entire thing goes to hell. Um, and I, it, it sets up, you know, increasingly uh, dicey dynamics between, b- between Vettel and uh, Leclerc. I don't think the team hasn't made, I'm not sure the team's made clear who, who is number one. I'm not sure they have to, but it, it feels like these guys are always jockeying for position. Yeah. I think that's a, a storyline that it's going to continue into next year that uh, very excited to see how it plays Absolutely. out. Yeah. Uh, one I, more thing I have from Italy, the very stupid qualifying. <laughs> I oh really my God. I totally that forgot. When everyone that was, failed to get that was bananas. the last run. Oh, that was good. Not the last time Leclerc will fa- fail to get his lap in, which is a massive shame because he was pole positioned for four races in a row at that around there, right? Ital- Italy, I guess he he got by default, but he ended up getting pulled the next two races too. Um, yeah, that was that was completely ridiculous. Uh, nobody looked good at the end of that one. Uh, I, I wanted to go back to something you um, said, I think, Rob, about the the, the middle of the pack. I, I think. Um, the ascendancy of McLaren, I think, was really something yeah. fun to watch this year. Yeah. Uh, and with that, number one, getting to see how good Carlos Sainz is. Yeah. Because he's been in the league a while. We haven't really gotten to see that, or at least I haven't been able to um, to, to notice that. Uh, and also, I just love Lando Norris. So. Meme King. Meme <laughs> yeah. King. Love him to bits. He's great. He's the best Twitch streaming F1 driver out there. Sorry, Max, for stopping. <laughs> I am really curious. That's a good point. Like the return of McLaren from the F1 wilderness was really good to see. And yeah, over that summer, you could just see them making advances. Uh, they still can't hang with the top teams right now, but that dis- that distance feels like it is closing rapidly, right? It increasingly feels like they're going to be racing Red Bull more likely than they're going to be racing Renault, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the other side of that tale, right? Is is mm. just how poorly Renault ended up um, driving this year, Nico Hulkenberg in his his final season, and Danny Ricardo, who made that brave jump, shall we say, from Red Bull to Renault, hoping that the sort of engine gods would play in his favor. Um, and I think it's fair to say he gave a go of it and definitely did better than his teammate, but you know, barely scraped into the the top 10 at, at the start i remember was it that first race in australia where they both had engine failures and you just yeah. kind of saw the writing on the wall well like, danny rick's wing got chewed off oh was that was that when he hit the uh <laughs> yeah oh god the, that was the that, golf or the golf track or whatever it was was it spain then there was one race i remember where the two of them had engine failures um uh yeah it oh, was yeah. uh yeah were they yeah they had a double disqualification mm, it, as no well it was bahrain was it Bahrain? Yeah, that, that makes triggered sense. a safety car, uh, which actually saved Leclerc's podium. You're right. right. So it was the yeah, it was the first race we had under. It was like the eighth race ever to finish under safety car, and I think they actually didn't technically retire because it happened so close to the end of the race. But um, yeah, they uh, yeah, just a shockingly bad season for them consistently throughout the whole year. I wonder. Do you feel like is is there a problem where anyone not headquartered in England is going to struggle? 
like, because of like is there an industry concentration effect happening in f1 like talent pool yeah like if you're if you're headquartered in england uh you see a lot of guys change jobs within the english headquartered teams which includes mercedes right like they took yeah. over the Braun operation so yes but the, german constructor could also, yeah could also be a language thing just germans tend to have a pretty good um uh, grasp of English in comparison to say Italians for instance uh, so maybe just just a lot more crossover there but like yeah what are we saying like we've got I guess that doesn't affect the <laughs> the American team necessarily um, although you know no but that's why it becomes a geo like that becomes a right. geolocation issue uh, mm-hmm. maybe above everything else which is which is just that it's easier to recruit top flight F1 talent if you're already there in uh you know in england could be, uh, it's, it could be so it could be factors to do with just the economics of it like maybe there's more english people throwing money around as well like how does a team like williams exist in any other country without that name without that history um just yeah. being as sort of as poor as they've been yeah i don't know it's just it's weird to me how difficult it is proving for even ferrari to like consistently bring that fight uh, you know, to um, you know, to to the door of Mercedes, it's striking to me that Renault can't seem to get that program uh, into into good shape. And at a certain point, I'm like, it doesn't seem like it would be resources necessarily, um, but it does begin to seem like there is some X factor missing. And I wonder if it's just there's too much transfer of knowledge and talented employees happening, uh, you know, in that English F1 corridor that, you know, if you're, if you're at Renault or a Mercedes, uh, Ferrari, you're not part of. Speaking of personnel changes, we had also, uh, Gasly demoted, Albon yeah. promoted. Um, the brutal Red Bull strikes again. It does. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that worked out pretty well. It seems yeah, to have worked out uh, best um, in terms of podiums for Gasly because he yeah, got it worked one. Out, worked out great for him in the end. Uh, yeah, and Albon, like, I don't think anyone's denying that Albon didn't deserve it. And also, I, it's hard to, you know, it's Gasly. You know, you could you can say they didn't give him enough time, maybe. Um, but he did seem very off the pace, uh, so it's hard to it's hard to say really. As, as brutal as they are, right? Like that's just what they did it to Kvyat. They they promote quickly as well. That's just kind of the Red Bull way. They are the fail fast uh, F one team. Um, Hulkenberg out, Kubica out. I think again we sort of, at least I feel that's brutal, but it makes sense. We got one more year, of Bobby K. It seemed like it was never going to happen, you know. Yeah, I actually had, I have a, had it, even even if it was a bit of a wet blanket in the end. Yeah, while we're on the subject, I have a good quote from him uh, from race fans. He says, uh, "It was my goal when I stopped driving um, to come back in the highest motorsport category on track, in which I would be able to race. And from a human being point of view, a personal point of view, this has been a great achievement." course the outcome is not as everybody was hoping not only myself but everyone but that's life that's motorsport that's formula one and this is why f1 is so exciting and so difficult 
Cool. I'm glad he's not got sour grapes anyway. Yeah. Um, another surprise in the driver uh, field, Roman Grosjean staying at Haas. <laughs> Antonio Giovinazzi staying around maybe as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Grosjean. I mean, he did retire a lot of races, so at least that stopped him from becoming <laughs> in the bottom 10 in those ones. Uh, yeah, rough year. Rough year. Highest finish was seventh. Finished twice more in 10th and then that was the only times he scored points but yeah, the car was crap the car yeah. was crap but you know magnuson managed to uh, uh, you know to get over double the points he did in the same car um maybe it was the reverse strategy <laughs> the time warp they were using where one of them was using the uh the the updated version of the car and the other one was using the start of the season one and they were slowly trying to like Windows update themselves back to where everything worked. Um, it was a bit silly. The whole the whole season for Haas ended up just being damage control on whatever happened with the car. It was very very strange. Yeah, kind of hard to watch. I'm yeah. I'm for not the first time uh, or the last time. I'll say I'm very looking forward to Drive to Survive season two. Absolutely. Uh, other things here. I mean, Brazil is the last race I have here, which was just. One of the best. Glorious great. chaos. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. That circuit's great on a bad day. That It, it was so much fun. Yeah, uh, Verstappen overtaking Hamilton on the restart. Uh, the Ferraris taking each other out. Uh, Albon's heartbreak after coll- uh, colliding with Lewis Hamilton oh. or the other way around. Um, Gasly's vindication. Uh, and signs on the podium after starting in last place. Not, not on the podium. <laughs> well, the uh, yeah, the t- technically the mathematical yeah. podium, not the yeah, physical get it, one. Get there were some good videos of them uh, cracking bottles of champagne in the uh, in, uh, later on with the team, which was which was fun. I think it was back at headquarters, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I think they did manage. They figured it out while at the track, and then they moved. Like the podium was still erected, so they went up there and took a picture. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um. That's all I've got for races. Other things here, uh, Sebastian Vettel's mustache. <laughs> Long may it rain in our memories. Um, McLaren. Uh, n- n- sorry, go on. Uh, McLaren's moving to Mercedes engines for 2021. That was a big news item. Uh, Renault got disqualified from Japan for their brake balance system. Uh, yeah, and of course... Uh, you know, the, the the ones we lost, Antoine Hubert, Charlie Whiting just before the season started, uh, and of course, Nicky Lauda. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I'm able to probably talk more about it in the Rush episode, but uh, yeah, it was um, it was a sad year all around. Tragic in some cases and just... I mean, well, tragic in many of those cases, actually, but uh, and, and just sort of sad in others. Um, yeah. Left with, left with lots of good memories from a lot of those people. Uh, yeah, and as so often is the case in F1, their names will be, you know, they'll, they'll keep coming up in stories and in, and in references to older races and past times. It's, it's one of those sports where um, even after you're gone, you tend to sort of live in, uh, in people's memories. That's true. I think it's, one of the, it's actually one of the parts that makes F1 tricky to get into because there's so much in the mythology totally, around yeah. it. The bestiary. Uh, anything, <laughs> anything else about 2019 you guys want to talk about? 
I don't know. I think I, I think I covered off it all. Like, I agree with what you said. I think those four European races ended up being a sort of palate cleanser on what was otherwise a, a kind of a boring season at the start and a kind of a boring end when Ferrari's uh, battle sort of um, petered out. Uh, you know, the races we enjoyed were the wacky races. You know, it was the, the madness of Interlagos, the the Bernie Eccleston's uh, <laughs> Aqua Park Dream Theatre of Germany. Um Max Verstappen winning his home race, <laughs> uh, the team's home race. You know, it, it was, they ended up being sort of oddities in an otherwise relatively benign championship run anyway. But like you, I I, I, I come away feeling good about 2019. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess part of that is thanks to Rich Energy keeping us entertained during the boring early uh, early races. All right. Well, should we take it to the news? Cool. All right, speaking of the future, Danny, the Dutch Grand Prix. Oh boy, let's uh let's talk about the banking. So we I guess we mentioned this on a podcast. I forget was it the last one we did or the one before, but we were we were talking about the the um the eventual uh, return to Zandvoort in the Netherlands and the fact that there is banking. Uh, they put out a fun video the, the the track designers or the whoever's doing the update to it showing off a first person account of what it'll be like, and we were remarking on how the uh, start finish straight and the sort of the last turn into it as well um, uh, was very evocative of of the Indianapolis uh, uh, race in which. Obviously, there was a, uh, a massive problem with the tires in 2005, uh, the infamous sort of final uh, U.S. Grand Prix during that era. So one of the questions that's been asked about this was whether or not this uh, issue with the tires might uh, reappear in Zandvoort. Uh, but uh, the new events sporting director, uh, Jan Lammers, who I'm going to refer to as Um Jani Lammy for the next uh, <laughs> rest of this news piece, um, has something to say about it. Uh, Lammers is acutely aware of questions raised over the extra demands on the tyres and the bankings will bring, but says the organisers have been talking to Pirelli on a daily basis about the subject. Formula 1 suffered one of its most damaging days in recent memory when the Michelin teams pulled out of the 2005 USGP in Indianapolis due to safety concerns following a number of crashes caused by the extra load on the banked final corner. Uh, This is a quote from Lammers. First of all, the corners in Indianapolis is way longer than this one, so the overall tyre load was much heavier there. And second, the corners in Indianapolis have some kind of linear banking. Uh, Over here, we have progressive banking, almost comparable to a bobsleigh track. Uh, We talked to Pirelli as well. Basically, from the first moment, we thought of creating a banked corner in Zandvoort. Uh, We speak to them on a daily basis and share all the updates and information they have. So, uh... Yeah, unlikely to have a repeat of the 2005 nonsense that happened in Indianapolis, but uh, perhaps a repeat of um, everyone's favorite movie, Cool Runnings, um, as they <laughs> bobsleigh around on the uh, on the on the the corner. Hopefully, Sanka's egg survives this one too. Wow, good pull. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you would hope that when a track designer says let's put banking in this Formula One track, they immediately think of the U.S. Grand Prix in 2005 and how, what, like six cars started because yep. the tires kept yeah. exploding? It's, it, it is kind of unavoidable, right? It's, it's, such a, um, it's such an iconic thing. And it's, it's such, like banking is such a, uh, something we don't see in F1 that is in other racing disciplines much more. So, it, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that they have thought about this, but at least good to see them coming out and, uh, and addressing it um, yeah. and that all parties are sort of involved. 
Speaking of tires, Rob, what do you got? Okay, so all y'all who didn't like the tire graphic and who were like, oh, what are these numbers? This seems like video game bullshit. Uh, Well, listen up, nerds. Uh, The head of racing from Pirelli, Mario Izzola, who was also one of the haters, once they figured out the information that was being fed F1 TV's tire performance graphic, they were like... Actually, this is pretty good. This, the, the graphic is being informed by a lot of good information. Um, the Part of it was a confusing rollout. Apparently, F, uh, F1 TV just did it. Like, it just showed up one day uh, with an estimate of tire performance, and nobody, nobody knew what this graphic was or where it, it was coming from. It seems to have surprised everyone. Yeah, even the commentators didn't really seem to know <laughs> what was going on. Yeah, and, and so part of it was this question of, like, what the hell is this? Are you just pulling this? Are you just, like, doing a really crude back-of-the-envelope? Like, here's how long the car's been out on the track. Uh, Pirelli looked into what F1 TV was doing, and they decided that it was good, that it was it was using, uh, it, it, it was using good data. But... This is where it gets, to me, this begins to just get into some pedantic nerd shit. <laughs> so, Perfect for this podcast. Let's go. Yeah. So Isola's problem is that tire performance as a percentage means very little. Uh, mm. The entire thing feels vague, right? For example, uh, this is from the Autosport article. For example, does a tire at 50% performance deliver a lap time 50% slower than when the tires are at 100%? No, that's fucking stupid. Uh, that's <laughs> me editorializing. What What is the difference between a hard at 80% and a soft at 85%? Clarity over what the numbers shown on screen actually represent is somewhat lacking. What bugs me about this is it seems to me like everyone agrees the tire graphic is pretty good at giving you a feel for where those tires are at. Like looked at broadly, we know what it means, right? Like we don't know the exact information about the condition of those tires, but we do like the graphic appears to give a good impression of the odds of those tires being capable of delivering competitive performance Mm. lap by lap. It's like when you were listening to the commentators and they use the word fresh for tires. They're not like, they're not saying that they're sticky or that they've got better traction right there, but you you can sort of, you get, you can kind of surmise yourself. You fill in the blanks generally what it means. Right. And Zola points out like, you know, tire age doesn't tell you enough because it doesn't just, tire age has not that much to do with how, drivers treat their tires right this is Mm. one of the things that makes a distinguishes a great driver from a good one is ability to manage tires and sort of make it so that tire age isn't a determinant of uh performance so you know the the data that is being fed into this graphic is car telemetry cornering forces section timing tire life weather and marshalling information uh that creates an algorithm that develops the percentage tires. If that's being done car by car and they're looking at cornering speeds through corners, like that's a lot that we know. And so to me, it feels like where this conversation has ended up is in this really definitional zone of like, what do we mean 
Yeah. When we talk what about tire life. What is a tire, you guys? Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm like, I don't know, man, but it seems to help. Cl- like, to me, I look at it. That person's tire is a dark orange trending red. <laughs> I think I got a good feeling about what's going on in that racetrack. Does it matter that it says, uh, you know, 44% and not 43? No, I, I think maybe the percentage thing implies a degree of exactness that a that a system like this can't guarantee but that's f1 like so little is exact about f1 how many times do you hear really confident predictions about well at this rate so and so is going to overtake this person on this lap and it's like yes but the problem is that's a dynamic system they're driving in and that rate is not going to stay consistent because tire factors are going to come in, traffic factors are going to come in, aero factors that we don't know about are going to come in. And so, like, to me, the tire the tire graphic is good. We should embrace it. We should love it. And uh, <laughs> we should stop getting hung up about, like, the percentage number. If it will make people be chill, we can just drop the percentage. That That's my suggestion. Like, do the color coding. But don't get too hung up on this notion of tire life or tire performance, because uh, I think that's just it's 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 a graphic that I think helps us understand the context of the racing we're seeing, which is the main thing. Uh, I don't actually need to know what the hell those tires are doing. And Pirelli gives it two thumbs up. Apparently, no, they give they give two thumbs out to the side because they're like, <laughs> this is a great graphic. What does tire performance mean? We don't know. We're just Pirelli. We can't even decide how to spell tire. <laughs> do they, actually, I've never even thought about this. Do they use the European or American spelling on F1? It's the European, I think. Yeah. It is? On okay. the graphics, yeah. Yeah. I like it. Uh, Thank you. Remember how long it took to put in miles per hour oh, on yeah. the graphics? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of tires and thumbs down, what's this next story here, Rob? Oh, this is good. So, <laughs> you know how everyone hated the, the tires they had this year, right? Or a number of oh, teams yeah. did, uh, particularly yeah. Haas. Just oh, terrible yeah. tires. Can't make them work. This is a nightmare. We got to do something about these tires. Pirelli brought out new tires for 2020. They were Great. tested a little bit at Coda. and. Then they were tested after Abu Dhabi. Was it Coda or Mexico? Um, I'll have to look at this. But either way, they were tested twice. One in a very abridged uh, testing. Uh, yeah, it was, it was in free practice at Austin. Uh, the dr- drivers got their first sample of the 2020 prototype. And sample. then they were tested in the postseason uh, test Abu Dhabi. And in the wake of that, F1 teams decided unanimously... To reject the entire 2020 spec, and they're going to run on the 2019 spec next year. Even Haas. Even Haas, which fascinates me. (laughs) Um, Better the devil you know. Well, because remember, that's the thing, right? This year, wasn't Haas trying to regress to the 2018 spec? There were a number of teams wanted to get off the 2019 spec. 1950 tires. That'd be good. I just want, give me like a stone, scary bicycle tires. Yeah. Yeah. Fred Flintstone. Yes. Um, but yeah, so the, I, I just find this very, very funny because it's classic F1, right? Yeah. Everyone's unhappy, but the thing they all fear more than anything else is uncertainty. 
<laughs> and so the driver's coming back with negative reviews of the 2020 tires scared the teams off. And they're all going to chance it on the 2019 tires. I suspect this also has something to do with the fact that next year already feels like placeholder year. And so everyone's just kind of like, let's just lock this down and get through Mm -hmm. the season. And hopefully the new era uh, can, can bring us some relief, but it does surprise me. Like Haas never figured out the tires this year. And, it sounds to me like by the end they still didn't really know what was going on with the car and and tires destroyed their season. Looking forward to 2020. <laughs> what do you make of this? Like why like yeah. if you're at the back of the table, what have you to lose by not sticking with it? You think just designing to a parameter you know gives them a better chance? Yeah, yeah who knows. I think it's at R&D cost. Yeah, I think it's that simple. I think it is just the devil you know. I mean, we'll yeah. see what, you know, <laughs> maybe well, they did figure it out at the end and they just didn't have enough time to change their car appropriately. I mean, it, it's a fair point. This was feedback from the drivers, like the drivers in general were not thrilled with the 2020 spec tire. Um, but it also does seem like the thing the 2020 uh, compound was designed to solve reduced tire degradation. Uh, wider working range of temperature, lower mm. overheating and dirty air. That is, that is a laundry list of things that solve various problems with the sport. Um, these tires were, you know, we've talked about these cars this year were impossible to set up because the tires were so finicky. Um, you have those surface temperatures and carcass temperatures that would completely like diverge in really horrifically destructive ways. Um, so I don't know. I just find it very funny uh, that we're going to do it all again next year. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. A few other uh, quick ones here to run down uh, news wise. Uh, Lewis Hamilton and Valentino Rossi, the um, gosh, five time or something mm. or more of uh, championship winner of MotoGP swapped rides for a day. Hamilton got to ride uh, Rossi's MotoGP bike and uh, Rossi got to jump in last year's Mercedes F1 car. Uh, and there's some cool video and uh, photos that I will link in the show notes. Yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah, I, I wish I had... I, there are like snippets of their conversations talking like Rossi showing Hamilton, how, oh, here, you, you uh, watch this, and when this turns red, then you shift. Um, or Hamilton afterwards, like, I, I think I was going around a turner, I was getting I'm getting hit by the wind or something, and they were just chatting. I want all of that. Put totally. that in yeah. a podcast and just feed it to me. I don't rem- care about your flashy imagery. I want to hear these dudes talk about racing their machines. It reminds me of the video. Do you remember that one of Tom Cruise getting in an F1 car? where he mm-hmm. drove, I think it actually might have been Sonoma Motor Speedway he was driving on. Um, and it was the same thing where like they barely interviewed him and it was David Coulthard talking about it. In both instances, I remember thinking, oh, you should have just had them mic'd up more. Like, I know it's hard in that circumstances, but it would have been, that's where it would have been more interesting. But it's even just cool seeing Lewis Hamilton on a bike. It just, <laughs> yeah, it, it shows you how, I don't know, seeing an F1 driver be that exposed just really brought home like oh god there's it's so dangerous photo gp it's crazy i saw somebody say and this is i have not been able to corroborate this i saw somebody say that he dumped it once like he he fell on the bike lewis did it yeah but it's not Not really footage or photos or anything those are heavy Um, bikes to fall you got to jump off them that's true uh all right other news here ferrari have already announced the date for their 
2020 car reveal. Yes. <laughs> They've an announced their for announcement. Tune in February 11th to the internet to find out what Ferrari's 2020 car will look like. What's the over-under? Who's going to go before them? Uh, February 11th seems pretty early. This is generally around when the teams announce cars. Mm. Uh, But yeah, now that they've staked that claim, maybe maybe we'll get Racing Point to do February. Racing Point? Who are Racing Point? First. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh... (laughs) Sorry, what was he? I, I rudely interjected there. You said spoilers. It's going to be red. Oh, it's going to be red? Yeah. You were going to say it's going to have Mission Winner written on it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it will. Probably. Um, w Series has a sponsor? Rocket. Yeah. Rocket? Rocket. Whatever the company is that's sponsoring Williams is now sponsoring a W Series. Awesome. Uh, so that'll be good. Um, hashtag Kubitza Watch. Bobby K has tested a DTM BMW. Oh. oh. DTM. Yeah, he's going to race in DTM. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, and apparently, he was pretty fast. Uh, Gotta go fast. Racing Point could be going fast sometime in the future with the name Aston Martin. Mm. Apparently, Mr. Lawrence Stroll uh, has uh, been in talks with Larry. the company um, about uh, some kind of he would buy part of Aston Martin. They would put their name on. I don't really know how this stuff yeah, works. He's just kind of thinking maybe I'll just buy a bit of Aston Martin. You know, yeah. looks nice. He's got so many pictures of his son up around the mansion um, wearing the, the, the race suit. He just thought, oh, maybe I'll change that logo a little bit. Easily yeah. done. Cha-ching. Uh, so, yeah, still in the rumor stages, but going to look out for that. Maybe we'll have something to update you on next time we come around for our off-season news podcast. No way does Aston Martin let that car continue to roll around in Pepto-Bismol pink, right? <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, no. Point. Like, no. This is, this is the James Bond thing's going to be green, man. Green or silver, but... I could do a green car. Dude, I'm always here for green. Like, the anything that lets me pretend a classic-era Lotus is uh, yeah. rolling around track, I'm here for it. Rob Zachney, here for the green. Uh, couple rookie of the year announcements uh, the official rookie of the year title uh, given by the FIA uh, was received by Alex Albon I imagine that is probably tied to points that's um, a three horse race right that's him Russell and and Norris Albon? Norris sorry yeah uh, but the, yeah the real one is the fan voting and there was this really actually pretty good video of uh Norris, Russell, and Albon all pitching their cases for why they should be the <laughs> why you should vote for them as rookie of the year. It it feels like an episode of The Office. <laughs> and these guys there's a, there's are a whiteboard involved. Yeah. They're all they're all really funny. Um and they seem like they uh know each other very, very well, which of course they probably do. They are just um, a bunch of lads. Like they're just like the most like lads on tour bunch of uh F one drivers. They're so much more like i don't know personable just especially after coming off the james hunt yeah <laughs> you know it's it's just a whole other flavor of uh of brit well um, and it's it's just such a stark like there was that whole drift in the 80s and 90s to this sort of aerospace style professionalization of like you you are a machine within a machine 
You know, you have to be as well-read as the... I think Brundle, to a degree, is your archetypal version of this, right? You can still hear it when he when he casts. He has passion for motorsport. He's also a complete nerd for the technical side of things. Mm. And, like, he's probably one of the more colorful figures and more approachable figures from that era. But in general, there's mm. this trend to, you know, be this kind of, like, icy totally, motorsports yeah. machine. And guys who didn't fit that mold, like Jill Villeneuve... Uh, sorry, not, uh, Jack, uh, Jack, get the hell out of here, right? Jack, we don't take you seriously. Like, you, you don't take yourself seriously. What are you doing playing Dark Age of Camelot or Ashran's Call or the fuck you're playing? What are you, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. And so I, I think it's really interesting that after years of trying to make F1 uh, a sport full of slightly reticent, boring personalities uh you've you've got this generational shift and uh hopefully it's it continues to be encouraged right yeah i I think you're right and i think you still you hear a little bit of that but only really around lewis hamilton someone who again has been in f1 for a while but it's it's so incongruous to me when i hear people complain about him and like flying around the world and going doing his fashion brand or his music or his you know starting a vegan hamburger joint or whatever he, he should just stick to racing or something what are you talking about no one does just like sebastian vettel sticks to racing and he goes home and like <laughs> reads the paper uh and that's it but like all these other guys are so multifaceted and uh, you know, have their hands in so many different things. It just, that never made sense to me to focus on Hamilton for that. And I think just because uh, of the reasons that you just stated, Rob, like this is a, this is a different breed of F1 driver. Uh, and these guys are, are on the, the tip of the spear for, um, well, uh, for that. And I think Hamilton probably forged the way for them a little bit too. Yeah. Right? You're probably that, right. I think we heard more of that late in his McLaren period. When McLaren was on the way down, not Lewis Hamilton, um, there was this narrative that, oh, like, maybe uh, a few too many parties uh, around the world, Lewis, maybe taking it a little too uh, lightly, maybe spending too much time at the tattoo parlor, Lewis. Uh, and like, and it's easier to criticize that than like <laughs> nameless engineers who are increasingly turning out bad cars. Uh, and there's obviously like, uh, a prejudicial component to this as well mm. that I don't want to underplay. But I think in general, there was this mo there's this notion that Vettel was an easy heir to, to Michael because he was similarly kind of dull and like, results at any cost lewis never played that game and he was just go he was going to be bigger than the sport he was going to be a personality and then after dealing with all that uh resentment and criticism he goes out and just rips off this run of championships and just buries opponent after opponent so you can't really level that uh critique again Mm -hmm. right and verstappen Guy's clearly tightly wound, still has in, has his interests and hobbies. Um, and he's part of this generation that I just don't think. Not only does the sport need personalities, uh, and there's just a generational style issue uh, to this, but the argument that if you're not boring, if you're not some sort of racing monk who lives at the factory and at the track, mm-hmm. uh, you can't succeed. That's that was that was blown up. Mm-hmm. It's. I wonder how much of this has to do with the fact as well that they are 
they're playing for the small points a little bit. Like, yeah. Um, you know, they, they are sort of mid-table, mid-table drivers and they're rookies. Um, but yeah, you're totally, you're totally right. Like the, the, the idea of that sort of steely Schumacher or even, you know, Mika Hacken and sort of driver is kind of definitely, um, not the, not the way forward. Uh, Nico Rosberg, a good example of somebody who had all that personality and took it to YouTube, you know, <laughs> just, uh, just f- found, found somewhere to, to really continue that, that, uh, arc in his career. But if history's any guy, we will see this tension crop up again. Uh, Senna was the, um, totally. yeah, moody yeah. asshole, fiery one, uh, again, like stereotypes playing into some of that as well, but right. like yeah. compare him to Prost who always like the descriptor I hear applied to him more than any other is like professorial, right? Mm-hmm. Like Prost drove like he was a insurance actuary. <laughs> and if he needed to, he could turn in blistering performances. But if he did not need to drive faster, he would not. We're going to yeah. talk about Rush later tonight. Again, like this notion that there are the drivers who are serious and hitting the books. And there are those who are here to enjoy the ride. But I think that is also partly driven by it is easier to feel good about a person, a person, an employee, a uh, talent who appears to only have room in their heart for the job they're being paid to do. Uh, that feels like a smart bet. It may not be a predictor of performance, but it is, you know, if, if you're up against it and you're choosing between two candidates who are equal, I can see it easily feeling like the thing that tips it is, well, this guy doesn't seem to have a life outside racing. I want that one. I'm not sure you should, but it's an easy, like, safe bet to make. Well, uh, I think those guys, those rookies, uh, I'm going to really enjoy having them around for the next few years. Congratulations to Lando Norris for winning the fan rookie of the year. Speaking of fans... Fucking set yourself up. Guys. I saw you doing it. I saw you doing it. <laughs> I see you. I see you. The fan car. The uh, the 1978 Brabham BT46B for fan. Um, legendary, but it's back. Is it? A fan car is back. A fan uh, a car with Gordon a fan. Gordon Murray has partnered with Racing Point. To develop the T50, which looks, it doesn't, what would you say? Danny, you had a good comparison earlier. Yeah, I, well, I was talking to Rob about how, you know, this kind of looks more modern. And I think he brought up the point of it looks a bit like, an, like a James Bond car. Um, and it felt like this is the sort of modern, you know, Daniel Craig James Bond car, whereas the original fan car was kind of the, you know, uh, British flag um parachute sort of era of james bond you know like a little bit a little bit hokier and sort of a bit weird um i mean this is a car i would love to drive around in as opposed to one that looks like my crazy uncle had been building it in his backyard for 10 years counterpoint okay (laughs) the tail of that car the the fan the round Hole with the starfish line. Yeah. Is there not an element of, like, community? Saying, the, 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 the Greendale College flag in community or cat butt <laughs> to this car? The Walmart logo. Yeah. You don't want to be stuck behind this car is what you're saying. No. I can't imagine another one of these cars going up to sniff 
this car. See, I just think this design looks kind of cool, but I think it just needs flames coming out the back. That's a, that's the thing. This this looks like a this looks like a sort of an Unreal Engine version of Rocket League or something. <laughs> oh shit! That is an incredibly Rocket League looking car. Right? Look at yeah. the hitbox on that. Yeah. All right. Speaking of greatest hits, should we take it to the emails, Danny? Let's do it. Emails. You can go email us if you want. F1.cool slash emails or shift F1 podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much, everyone who sent an email this year. I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you very much. It's been a fun year of picking them out every week. It's also a fun year of reading all the ones, the passionate long emails that I do not read on this podcast because they would just take too long. Um, uh, to that point, massive thanks to Abir, who sent in a very long email about the perfume industry, which uh, helped clarify some of um, some of the, uh, <laughs> the financials in that particular industry. Uh, very enlightening. Um, uh, and thank you so much to, to everyone who sends in little bits and bobs, just little sort of heads ups that we talk about every week. Uh, Chris Sologi on or Sologi on. Uh, uh, on our emails letting us know that F1 2019 is currently on PlayStation Now. So if you're a PS4 owner who has PlayStation Now, you can play that game. I was going to say for free. Well, you're paying for PlayStation Now, but you can play that but game. But it feels that free, game. and that's how they it get you. Feels, exactly. You can do that right now. But I now got got. So, uh, Danny, real quick, could you forward me that perfume yeah. email? Yeah, I will. It's you real good, actually. You can't just tease me like that. I got to know, know about these financials. I will. Hit me up after the show. I'll do that. It's a... Uh, it's real good. And then I also got a really good message from Stevie Sanchez, or Steve Sanchez, rather, uh, via Patreon, who uh, sent us a, a DM saying, if you want some silly F1-related branding, here's T-Mobile's OnePlus McLaren phone, currently only one of their two available 5G phones. As far as I can tell, it only says McLaren and has some orange highlights, and otherwise it's just a OnePlus 5G version of their most recent phone. It looks quite nice. It's very expensive. I think is nine hundred dollars. Yep, that's that. That'll do it. That's a modern phone, though. Thirty-seven fifty for twenty-four months. Color papaya orange. Never settle. It says on the front of it. Although, to be honest, if you're going to spend a grand on a phone, maybe settle. <laughs> uh, Rob, do you want to read this first email? Sorry, I was just thinking about how I would nobody would ever see it because it would go inside a case. Oh, I guess that's the real point, though, right? You got so much money, you're like, I'm not putting this in a case. Yeah, Look at this point. thing. My- Whoop! It just gets flying out of the car. Out of the street. <laughs> All right. Uh, Doug in Tokyo writes, Dear Danny, Drew, and Rob, as an avid motorsports fan and dedicated follower of F1 since 1997, when Speed Vision, shout out, was wow. the way to watch in the States, and I stayed up late to watch the Japanese GP on Halloween weekends. I'm happy to add my end of season thoughts as a more experienced watcher. The spicy take I have is that 2019 was a perfectly fine season with a mix of highs and lows and no dominant team. But wait, you cry. Lewis won so many races. The championship didn't go to the last round. Isn't that a bit boring? Well, the reason Lewis won so much wasn't to do with the car stomping the competition this year. Motorsport Magazine's Mark Hughes ran the numbers, and it looks competitive. No, it was more to do with Ferrari finding new and creative ways to fail. Jalopnik has a wonderful collection of Scuderia excuses from the season, some gloriously contradictory. As the action itself... 
Love it. Yeah, I, was, I, try, I was trying to do it in my head and I was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. You're Sorry. much braver than I are. Fair play. As to the action itself, it was good. Races like the French GP will always exist. I'd argue they're needed because otherwise you wind up with Michael Bay movies full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Would the German GP stand out as much if every race was wacky races? No, they would not. I feel like it's a little bit Stockholm Syndrome talking, Doug. As it is, <laughs> we have three teams and five drivers winning races in 2019. Plenty of on-track action and off-track politics. And Ferrari remaining lustily Italian in all the right and wrong ways. Here's the 2019, a pretty above-average season of Formula One. Here's hoping the rule stability to 2020 gives us a throwback to 2012 when seven different drivers won the first seven races. Hmm. If you're jonesing for racing this offseason, IMSA has two endurance classics before the F1 season starts, Daytona 24 in January and Sebring uh, 12 in March. The WC, WEC will be at Coda and Sebring both. And one of the best-kept secrets in motorsports, the Bathurst 12 Hours GT race will be happening in February. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I thought that was... Uh, we got a couple of emails with people's thoughts. Um, that was, I think, one of the the more fleshed out. And so, I, I have I, to I, read I find these it... Mark Hughes thoughts, though. Because like, I, cause I right. read the Jalopnik thing about mm. Ferrari's excuses. Ferrari. I didn't find it persuasive, though, as an argument for Ferrari throwing away their chances. Like, I, To me, it felt like they were fighting uphill and yes they had some bad luck and they made some bad mistakes but um they had the qualifying pace but just couldn't yeah we'd over, have to overtaking was always tough yeah how many points did they throw away versus how many could they just not defend i think that's two different yeah. things uh drew you want to take this one chris? i can yes chris says hey guys great job with the podcast thank you uh it is great to hear an american perspective since it is an obscure sport here in the states I found your podcast partway through the season and have really enjoyed it. Now that the season is over and I hadn't listened to it, I decided to listen to the preseason primer because why not? I think you should tell everyone to go listen to it, uh, which we do, because it is so <laughs> funny to hear about predictions and impressions of the season. This this is actually a pretty good idea. Uh, mainly Rob <laughs> trying to build up a Williams fairy tale, uh, at least right. they got one point. And forgetting McLaren was a racing team. Uh, it is a cool reminder to see how much changes in a year. Keep uh, Great work and keep it up. I'm terrified to go back and listen to it, but now um, I feel like I want to. Yeah. Just... <laughs> I'll probably... So what I did last year was I w went and listened to the 2017 preseason primer just to make mm. sure that you know I wasn't forgetting anything in terms of... 2018? Uh, no, before we recorded that one, I listened to the one we did before. So uh, we be twenty eighteen, right? <laughs> oh, right. this is like that bodybuilding.com <laughs> post about how do you alternate exercise days with a seven day week? <laughs> right. Because it's uneven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Um, sorry. I'm being pedantic here, but it's, yes, it's, uh, that's a great idea. I'm looking forward to doing that. <laughs> uh, next thing I came in from Mike. Uh, hey guys, new to F1 this year. Love the podcast. And I've been listening to every podcast since the Hungarian Grand Prix. It was a pretty good time to come on, actually. Yeah. Uh, now that the 2019 season over, is there any consensus on whether moving to Renault was the right move for Ricardo? I would, it would appear 
Uh, the Renault car was a downgrade. If Daniel left Red Bull after being overtaken by Max, is the same thing likely to occur with the young Ocon arriving at Renault for 2020? Do you predict a battle for driver supremacy at Renault? So a couple of questions here. Let's take the first one uh, first, because it may be the easier one to answer. Was Ricardo's decision to leave Red Bull for Renault a bad one? Ra, what do you think? I think it has to be like there. Like yes, he correctly identified that he was going to be relegated to number two status. Like the fix was in. Max was going to be their guy. Uh, there was a youth bias at Red Bull. He'd have been a fool not to see that problem coming. However, there was no indication that they were eager to shift him out the door. That with him, they had a really decent championship shot. If they had two good drivers, all they needed to do was get him to play ball. Uh, there's always the chance, like you stay in the car. He, he could have tried to bring the fight to Max. Now, his argument is if the fix was in, they would never have let me. And there's some evidence to suggest that that's kind of how Red Bull rolls. Mm. All of that is still a better outcome than what he got at Renault. And now I think, yeah, he's in deep shit because Ocon's really good. And so now you're fighting for a position at a team where for Danny, if he doesn't do well, there's no upward move, right? Like he needs to drive beyond what that Renault can do and like make some waves. And that car's piece piece of garbage. He's in like a Hulkenberg spot now almost. Well, yeah. like Hulkenberg was in that spot as well, yeah. I guess. But, Whereas Ocon's but, yeah. a driver on the rise. He's got multiple yeah. important people invested in his career. Um, he's got national backing. He's, you know, the, probably the highest profile uh, French driver. Sorry, yep. Roman. Um, so Fan I, favorite. Yeah. So, so I think so. Danny's in some major trouble. And I mean, not for nothing, but the guy's also in a lawsuit with the dude who like helped set up the Renault deal. So oh, really also who was in his ear when that went down? Yeah, uh, I can't. I, don't, I can't argue with any of that. I think the one, the one potential thing that could save them is if twenty twenty one is somehow breaks in favor of Renault, then Ricardo will look like a genius, right? It'll all, it'll all be worth it. Uh, that seems like a far fetched idea. What are your thoughts on the idea that with? With Red Bull being so quick to demote Gasly, um, do you think Daniel would have kept his seat if he hadn't performed well? Yeah, I think Gasly was kind of the here. The politics around Gasly are tough. He was kind of the guy they had lying around, so there was no buy-in with with Gasly. Is like his time has come. We're investing in this future. He's only there because R- Ricardo leaves abruptly. And they realize the cupboard is bare, so we'll give this mm. guy a shot. Then he chokes it, and they don't have much invested, so it's very easy to say, well, we'll just plug someone else in and, and, and see how it goes. I think Ricardo would have had to throw the spot away, as opposed to just having it taken from him. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, oh, that, hey, that lawsuit was settled. Oh. Oh, it was? Yeah. Any, any other details? Looks like it's sealed. All right. But there you go. Ricardo so says it ended better than you would have 19. thought. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, so that's 2019, huh? That's it. Say so. 2020. Again, like I said, starting March 15th, but we will, of course, be back. Uh, preseason testing is February 19th. It kicks off, and there's two rounds, uh, 19th to 21st, and then 26th to 28th. 
Um, and then the only other date we have is February 11th when Ferrari launches their car. Um, let's run down what the teams and drivers are going to look like. Not a whole lot's changing. Mercedes still retaining uh, Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas, Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel, Charlotte Claire, Red Bull, uh, Max Verstappen, and Alex Albon confirmed as his teammate for next year. McLaren's keeping Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz. Renault uh, keeping Daniel Ricciardo and bringing in Esteban Ocon for Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, Toro Rosso becoming Alpha Tori. Mm. Uh, maybe I can roll that R. I don't know. Uh, Pierre Gasly and Danny Kvyat. Racing Point for now with Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll. Alfa Romeo keeping Giovinazzi with uh, Kimi Raikkonen. Gene Haas and team. Roman Grosjean, Kevin Magnussen. Uh, and then Williams, the other driver lineup change here, George Russell and Nicholas Latifi, mm. uh, the Formula 2 driver, will be starting um, his rookie season next year. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, real quick, knee-jerk reactions on what 2020 is going to be like. Is it going to be processional, everyone, just the holding pattern until 2021? Same... Yeah, Mercedes dominance up top. I think Ferrari's problems between the two of those drivers isn't going to go away. Verstappen fighting with them. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, like, I, I think Ocon is going to cause trouble uh, in the mid-pack. Um, I'm interested to see how Carlos signs does next year. But yeah, in terms of the... I'm interested to see what version of Botas we get next year because he started well and sort of didn't end too great. And he's obviously had a tough 2019 otherwise. Um so, you know, presumably he'll be throwing even more of himself at, at the, you know, this this feels like a little bit like, remember Rosberg won that season after Lewis just dominated him the previous season? Like, I wonder if we'll see that with Botas. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd like to say that there'll be a, it, I, I guess it can break two ways. It can be very blasé because nobody cares because the the rule changes are coming in or they care less um but there's so many contracts being changed at the end of next season that like maybe also it's the last time for some drivers to prove that to themselves or prove to uh, prospective teams um that they're the one to put them in the seat you know that's why i look at places people like ocon and and carlos Sainz, where you're like there's a chance that there's a there's seats at the big uh table as well for some of those drivers so um yeah, maybe maybe that will cause some of the drivers at the top to also, you know, just perform that little bit better. It's uh it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell because it seems like they care every week. Like how would you be in this sport if you didn't try your hardest every single week? Yeah, what do you think, Rob? Um I think I'm not sanguine about there being an interesting title fight next year. Uh, mm. I just specs the same we've seen. The only thing I can maybe argue is that Mercedes has clearly been sort of the team to beat and sitting up, sitting up here as a little bit, but the gains we saw Ferrari make disappeared over the course. Like people can say whatever they want, but once those complaints went out about like, hey, uh, is that legit when it came to Ferrari's what was it fuel mixture? Yeah. Um, like once that came up that that performance disappeared a little bit. So we haven't seen anybody take a bite out of Mercedes advantage in a durable way in quite some time. Now, Bonato is on the hot seat. He's a technical guy. He's got a full season to 
get this program on the rails. He could always say last year he inherited a compromised program uh, from his from his predecessor. Uh, but I think this is the kind of the put up or shut up year um, mm-hmm. because if he can't with the known quantity that they've got, if he can't get something done here, uh, is he going to be the guy to lead a new, new generation? But setting all that aside, I think the other part of this year that I'm really curious to see how it plays out, there have to be teams and sponsors that are impatient with the lack of competition in F1. Uh, to a degree, you've got a bit of a Le Mans prototype problem where it's just, is F1 a class worth competing in uh, if you are going up against these like really powerful, well-heeled incumbents in the space? And I think we've been coasting along a bit uh, on that front, but it seems now there's consistent enough hand-wringing about whether this sport is worth playing into. There's been stories about, like, you know, is Gene Haas a bit disillusioned with F1 and how it's going? Um, how deep is Red Bull's commitment, especially if Honda looks shaky? Honda doesn't even appear to be that committed uh, mm-hmm. to the sport. There's a lot of uh, wobbling dominoes in this field, and my suspicion is over the course of this year, uh, we will start to hear talk of some high-profile team departures. And we will see Liberty scrambling to get new interest and get some of these new teams that have been out there in the ether to commit, uh, so, to, to sort of shore up F1 as it heads into this new era. Because 2021, it's a, if you, you know, it's a, pivotal time it is an opportunity to reshuffle the deck that's true it's also a very good time to get off this ride if you're not committed to f1 hmm now i'm way more excited than i was <laughs> it's gonna be weird uh it's i think two new tracks netherlands and vietnam are gonna be fun god i can't wait uh, till vietnam yeah, yeah. What a weird one no idea what to expect. Oh, it from could those. be terrible, but I'm so excited! Like, <laughs> yeah. it's an F1. If it's an F1 race with two drag strips in the middle of it, hell yeah, give me yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think yeah. I, I Renault is still worrying. Uh, Williams will be really interesting to see what happens there. Um, I'm hopeful for Haas. Hopefully, they've figured some things out. Uh, McLaren's going to be fun to see if they can keep it up. Uh, Racing Point with their you know, this is the first car that they'll have made after that huge cash influx. So hopefully that'll be much better. Um, yeah, I, 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 a lot of questions going on, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited, uh, to see how all of that goes. Uh, thanks again for everyone's emails. You can also follow us at shift F one podcast on Twitter. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. Uh, that's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? One last time for 2019. Get your passport. We're going to race around the world. There is no racing this weekend. (laughs) Put your passport back. You're staying at home for the holidays. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there is somewhere. Um, But uh, the the store to get that present for little Jimmy. Wow. Uh, The next race i have on my calendar here is uh the f3 asia series january 10th 
Um, so this one is interesting. This is, uh, we discussed it uh, briefly, I think, last episode. This is where uh, the W Series champion Jamie Chadwick um, is racing, along with yeah. uh, Formula 2 2019 driver Tatiana Calderon um, and uh, another uh, number of other memorable or recognizable names, including mm. uh, Jack Dewan, son of multi uh championship winning MotoGP driver mick Dewan. um and Time all to quit of their trying and start doing that's right that's what it says and it's also free to watch so i will link their youtube channel in the show notes uh i watched rounds two and three they do three races or round one they do three races per so i watched race two and three um and it's it's this it's delightfully um lo-fi like the <laughs> that you can the, tell the, the team the production team is really small like the cameras right. look good except when they cut out like the feed doesn't come through all the way there's like weird compression or the the signal chops up uh but they've got one commentator in the booth one trackside reporter who interviews the driver she asks one question they answer and then she translates that one answer into chinese oh wow it's like I really like watching low, uh, low budget, uh, racing coverage for some reason. It, it's just like maybe it's the producer in me, but I really, I really get a kick out of it. It's endearing uh, or something, yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's good racing. I mean, this is it's a spec series. All the cars are really close, mm. um, and there's a, a good bit of weather going on in this last round. But um, that is, uh, to my knowledge, the, along with Formula E, the only two, um major i guess you would call them racing series that go on over the winter time uh formula 3 asia of course races in asia actually i'm sorry i've been calling it the wrong thing it's f3 F3. asian championship certified by fia it's in the name so it can't get more legit than that f3 Uh, sports it's in the name the uh the the first formula e race is the full version is now up on their youtube as well indeed Um, if people want to check that out uh, and the next Formula E race, January 18th in Santiago, Chile. Chile. And then uh, the first major uh, world championship to kick off, uh, aside again from Formula E, the World Rally Championship uh, on January 23rd in Monte Carlo. Oh. Yes. Uh, and as mentioned, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, or I think it's just called the IMSA WeatherTech Championship now. The Rolex 24 at Daytona is January 25th. Um, yeah. But uh, if you don't want, or if, if you exhaust those in the off-season, um, I've put together a list here of things to watch. Drive to things Survive to watch. is going to come out. Probably, I would guess... February? I don't know. Yeah, right. It felt like it was in the run-up this year, so something similar. Yeah, if Netflix wants to, or if Formula One wants to, you know, uh, drum up the most interest, you're going to drop it right with enough time for everyone to binge watch it and then start the season, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sounds about, about a month, maybe, for 10 episodes people to get through, mm. the way the Netflix drops them all at the same time. If you want to listen to our thoughts on it, you can become a patron and check out three whole podcasts about the season that we recorded this summer, I think it was mostly. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of MotoGP. Um, 
you can that along with supercars another series i really like you can uh and there will be links to all this in the show notes of course and we might i might do a uh, an off-season blog post on the website as well mm. um those are both have uh subscription services that make it really easy to just watch yeah. every race moto gp one is fantastic yeah um and we haven't really mentioned it but moto e started tron and it's super weird do you win by driving your light bike in front of alexander rossi's robot cyborg <laughs> right at a 90 degree angle the doctor um yeah they, I, si- they silence they're quiet yeah they're they're strange <laughs> we should do it we should do a primer yeah that'd be fun uh, those are those are my big ones. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to find some links to other. If you want to go back and watch the 2018 seasons of Super Formula and Super GT, I, I'm almost positive those are available. Indy and NASCAR were last year. I'm not sure if they are this year, but again, I'll, mm. I'll collate all of that into every possible thing you can think of to watch, racing wise, uh, into uh, a blog post. Anything you guys have uh, tapped for this off season? MotoGP for me. I missed most of the uh, the races this year and caught up with some of the more shareable moments shall we say um but uh yeah i heard even without the 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 a major battle for first place which has been an issue maybe in MotoGP for a few years that the uh, the racing was fantastic so i'm uh yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of that um the MotoGP uh archive and in i did this last year as well where i let my subscription lapse uh, at the start of the season but then re-upped it at the end so i could just binge watch everything um mm-hmm. so i'll do th- i'll do the same this year i think um, <clears throat> so I'm going to be catching up a little bit on, uh, Blancpain GT, uh, which okay. I think is, if you go to the GT world YouTube, it is just a festival of endurance racing, um, <laughs> uncut races, uh, long highlight, uh, like condensed races, uh, short highlight reels, like choose the flavor of like, ra- <laughs> like replay you want and you will get it so honestly it's best in class like that is how race archiving should be uh i want to see indy do it uh i desperately want to see formula e do it um it seems like a deal that's only possible if you've got some wacky outside investment and are willing to screw your tv rights holders uh but (laughs) nevertheless um it is a great time to get caught up on it it is just a bottomless well of really good racing um because those are formats that do really smart things like ballast cars and uh have aerodynamically insensitive cars that can just uh you know race within an inch of each other for lap after lap so it's going to be great stuff also um i got us like my racing wheel has not seen enough action this year Mm. and i think it is high time to hook that up and and dig back in uh so i'm going to be playing I feel like I'm going to get back into some project cars uh, this year. Yes. Slightly, slightly mad. Good. It's been acquired by Codemasters. I'm a little... Oh, you're kidding. When oh, did that happen? A couple weeks ago. I'm super oh, curious how wow. it pans out. I'm apprehensive but excited. That makes sense. They're, you know, not too far. Leamington Spa is not that far from... I think they're in South London. Slightly mad. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, to me, it's like... Did Can't they get acquired to do hardcore race sims like slightly mad style, uh, or did, are they just going to be used as a team to supplement Codemasters' uh, mainline games and just like 
streamline the production. I yeah, think me and, one of those me and Drew were both saying Dirt Rally is the one that slipped by, I think, both of us this year. Did you play much of that, Rob? No, but rally racing is not like I've enjoyed the dirt games. I've meant now for the last two games to get into dirt rally. Haven't managed to do it. Um, but yeah, I think there yeah, was one last. Go ahead, Danny. I, I just he mentioned that I was also thinking um, we were talking about because now I'm so close to you, Drew, that we should get you over to the studio and have a go on this wheel. Ooh, um, yeah. Maybe we should do like a patron only video. Maybe that month's one could be us playing dirt rally or something on it. Um, yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Something like that. Sure. Cool. I'm around. Uh, I would say the one one last thing, uh, if you haven't checked it out, the the Beyond F1's Beyond the Grid podcast is pretty great. Um, yeah, it's so good. I've been catching up on those actually. Yeah, I I'm gonna run down some of the ones I remember here. Kevin Magnuson was good. Ross Braun on Braun GP was great. Um, Pastor Maldonado, of course. Of course. Uh, Alex Albans was really good. Jensen Button. Uh, and the most recent one, Daniel Ricardo, is fantastic. There's some really great old ones, too. Uh, the Kubica interview is genuinely terrific. Um, gives you a ton of insight into into the man. Uh, I think Brundle was a good... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was a fun interview. Uh, Villeneuve um, yeah. was, was a fascinating interview. It's so weird, like... His reputation for being kind of a dickish provocateur on the margins of F1, and then like he gives really good interviews. It's it's weird. <laughs> he had spiky hair. What was he doing? <laughs> Wasn't taking it seriously enough. Had to get him out nope. of here. <laughs> All right. Anything else, fellas? Danny, final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think we covered it pretty well. The 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 season that was in it was. Um, up and down topsy-turvy but there was always something to talk about and uh it's been an absolute pleasure getting together every week uh weekly on this yeah, podcast and it worked talking to you about it it did who knew all we needed was i've said it before and i'll say it again rob zachney <laughs> 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 uh, and of course uh yeah like a huge shout out to drew does an incredible amount i mean we all try and chip in and do work here and there and and, and do our part but drew does an incredible amount of work behind the scenes to make sure that we're well prepared every week uh with fantastic notes so um yeah, thank you, Drew, as well for for oh, thanks um, all the work you do um, on this show, and thanks so much to all of our patrons who have um, have allowed us to do silly things like do the rich energy uh, taste <laughs> test, and, and yeah. more importantly, perhaps and more difficult, you know, again talking about the amount of work Drew does, um, you know, getting all those drinks over from the south of France <laughs> was uh, was no uh, was no easy task, I'm sure. And but it yeah, was done I... entirely legally, and nobody needs to ask questions. <laughs> That's right. And my, my, maybe my favorite moment of the whole season was getting to hang out with both of you guys in L.A. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we can do more in-person stuff uh, next year with, with, with all three of us. Remember how improbably good that beer was? Yeah. Know, wasn't it delicious? I still, good. Have, I still have a few left over. You do? We'll have, yeah. to, we'll have to come drink them. I think, <laughs> I think doing that in the rather sort of avant-garde uh, Airbnb that I rent in, in L.A. Officially the weirdest place I've ever seen on Airbnb. It's a it's it's up there. Um uh for me too. I think that was just a snapshot of like that's what F1 life must be like. <laughs> in a in a fancy house drinking beer that no one else can even get. Yeah. <laughs> With uh, friends. Rob, any uh final thoughts from you? No, it's just been a blast getting to do this for the full season. Um it's it's been a delight. It's enriched my enjoyment of of watching F1. Uh, yeah, more live shows, more live content. Cool. 
All right. Well, uh, if you'd like to support the show, again, you can go do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next time.